listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is your host, Stephen Roach. This is episode seven. In this episode, I want to share a keynote message that embodies the heart and revelation behind what later became the Breath in the Clay creative arts movement. This is called the Metaphysics of Dirt and Breath. Genesis 1. Our first introduction to the God of the universe. In the beginning, God created. Before we hear of his love, before we hear of his righteousness or know about the law, before we hear the angels singing holy, 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 the Bible introduces this infinite, uncreated being to us as a creator. And in the first chapter of Genesis, the very first things we learn about God is that he's a creative being and that he takes immense joy in the creative process. How many times does Genesis say, and God said, oh, that is good. And then he would create something else. Oh, man, that is good. Over and over and over. And you know, the word good can also be translated as beautiful. When you look at the Hebrew, it means aesthetically pleasing. And God said, oh, that is aesthetically pleasing. (laughs) And so in verse 26, when it says, let us create man in our image. Our only concept of God at that point is that he's a creative being who takes great delight in what he creates. So by virtue of following um, chronologically, what that tells me is the image of God within humanity is is the creativity of God. The image of God within us is our ability to be creative and to enjoy that which we've created. Now, there's more to it than that, of course, but the very starting point is that the image of God is creativity within us, right? I don't know if you've heard that before, but it's my, it's my personal conviction. Uh, I would encourage you to work it out before the Lord on your own. But the beautiful thing about that is that it tells us that creativity is not ornamental. Creativity is not the earring in the ear or the scarf around your neck that you can be just as well with or without. Creativity is in your blood. Creativity is your birthright as a human being. And so when you exert the creative nature that God put within you, which is his reflection, you're glorifying God. Before we even talk about content, before we even talk about the intent of the heart, by virtue, when, when a creative act happens, it glorifies God because it is, it is an echo of the divine spark that first brought us into being. I think that's good news. And so, all through the creative process of Genesis 1, he speaks everything into being with his words. And then you get to verse 26, and he decides that he wants to make mankind in his image. And what does he do? He reaches down into the dirt. (laughs) He reaches down into the clay, and he shapes, he sculpts, he spins into being A little Pinocchio man, except not made out of wood, made out of dirt. 
you and I are just animated dirt. You ever thought about that? <laughs> he reaches down with his hands, however that works in the spirit. He reaches down and he forms us out of the dust of the earth, out of the clay. And here's, a, here's an interesting fact, is that the word forms that's used in, that, um, in the Hebrew is uh, yetzar. I am not a Hebrew scholar. Bear with me. <laughs> And that word, that mean, it means to fashion like a, a potter at the wheel. The same root of that word is the word that's used for imagination. One, you have a physical act of forming. In the other, you, it deals with the imagination, okay? We're going to get back to that in a minute. But um, I started thinking that if this infinitely wise and beautiful creator determined to make you and I out of dirt, that if I studied dirt a little bit, I might find some revelation about God there, right? And so I began to study dirt. And uh, I have a question for you. What is dirt? Where did it come from? Can you tell me? Where'd the rocks come from? <laughs> okay, no fair. We know it all leads back to him, but he created something out of nothing, so that doesn't count. I'm just saying, physically speaking, we don't know where the stuff comes from. We walk on it every day of our lives. We see it everywhere. The grass and the shrubs and the trees and the food that we eat grows from the womb of this dirt, and we don't even know how it got here. We know as Christians, okay, we know. But I'm saying, scientifically speaking, scientists today will tell you they don't know where it comes from. They don't know where the dirt came from. The best guess is that exploding supernovas came together, and here's all these particles floating around, but it just decided one day to form in this earth as it did, you know? So even if I said dirt came from exploding supernovas, that doesn't tell me why it all collected in this particular place and decided to spin around like this, and then the water came, and so you've got a ton of other questions. But... That was just where my study on dirt began, right? So it gets better. <clears throat> I started looking into this, and, and even though we don't know where dirt came from, here's the beautiful mystery about it. Dirt is at once the most common element to you and I. Like I said, we see it every day. And it's also one of the most enigmatic things. And I find that fascinating because God tends to be that way. He hides the miraculous right in the midst of the ordinary. And I think he does that because he desires us to search it out. He doesn't hide things from us. He hides things for us. And just like Moses with the burning bush, the miracle wasn't that the bush was on fire. Moses lived on the back 40 of the desert. He saw bushes catch fire from the heat every day of his life. The true miracle of that moment was that Moses had tuned his perception to recognize God in the midst of the mundane. And so when Moses saw this bush that was on fire, something in him recognized that it was different than the other bushes on fire he had seen. This bush was on fire and was not burning out. And so when Moses, who had tuned his heart to see wonder in the mundane, turned aside to see it, he then heard the voice of God speaking to him from a bush that was on fire. 
So God created man out of dirt. This ordinary, miracle-making stuff. And then the very next thing that he did is he cradles this, this sculpted figure, this little figurine in his hands. And he breathes the breath of God from this infinite, creative father. He breathes it into his little sculpture. And suddenly, human life takes shape. So here we have dirt, and now we have breath, the wind of the Spirit. All throughout the Scriptures, the Holy Spirit is depicted as wind and breath, correct? Other things as well, fire and all that, but we're talking about breath. And so I started studying wind and breath and all of this, and I came across a very interesting concept. Did you know the word inspiration at its root, actually means to be breathed upon by God. Study it yourself. Study the etymology of that word. The word inspiration or to inspire, inspire, in spirit. To be inspired means that you've been breathed upon by God. And so, when you take that in context... It was the inspiration of God that brought us to life. We are created in his image. From the very beginning, he sculpted a frame that was meant to encase and embody his very breath. <laughs> Man. He breathes on us and we became a living being. Now, this is what I find very fascinating. He created this garden this environment, this culture to, uh, to which his uh, new Pinocchio man uh, could live in. So he creates this, this being in his image, fills him with his breath, fills him with his inspiration, calls him forth to be a creative being, and sets him in a garden of delight, a culture of delight, an environment of delight. And in this garden of delight, he made some trees and, and with fruit and everything, but then he, he didn't just make everything perfect and done. He actually left creation undone because he began to teach Adam how to be a gardener. He began to teach Adam how to cultivate. And the word cultivate shares the same root as culture. He wanted Adam to create the culture around him through the creative reflection of his being and the breath of God inspiring him to do it. And so he taught him how to plant seeds. Here's the very first thing that God does with his created man. He sits him down on a rock somewhere on a hill in delight. And this menagerie, this this parade of animals, as we imagine it, we get these silly pictures of what happens there, but this is what the scripture says, is that he made all the animals parade before Adam. And Adam began to say, that one's an elephant. <laughs> Whoa, that thing is a giraffe. Let's call that hippopotamus. A what? Hippopotamus. <laughs> what was happening there 
is that God, who created everything out of his word, he then sat Adam down and invited him. The very first thing he did with his human being was he invited him to co-labor in the creative process with him. He invited him to use his own imagination to create reality around him, to create the culture around him. God could have done it himself. He brought all things out of nothing. He didn't need Adam's creativity to do it, right? He didn't need Adam's imagination. He didn't need Adam's words because all of those things were just the reflection of his own, right? He could have done it himself. But something in the father heart of God desired that humanity would co-create and co-cultivate the earth with him. The very first thing that happens is Adam uses his words and he uses his imagination and he creates, he names, he names the animals. That is so beautiful to me. Our very first invitation from God, which by the way, you'll hear me use the word invitation much more than calling, not because I have an issue with calling, but because you, uh, when you start digging around in the word for calling, one of the interpretations of that is invitation. And sometimes when I say that I am called by God, I feel very important and big. But when I say that I've been invited by God to do this with him, it shows me that he's the divine initiator and he's called me, he's asked me, he, he's called to me. <laughs> he's invited me to come. And he invited us to share in the, in the, work, at the outworking of our imagination and our words to create the atmosphere of heaven on earth. Okay, so we got that far. Adam realized that the elephant, as majestic as it was, didn't make a very well companion for him. And uh, <laughs> so he, he turns to God and is basically like, you know, this is all beautiful, but I, there's an ache in me. And the very first thing that God says is not good and is not delightful is the fact that this man was lonely. The image of God within mankind was not complete because he already said he created them in his image. He made them male and female. And so the image of God was only half done. And so he puts Adam in a trance, puts him to sleep, reaches into his own being and from the substance of his own being, from the desires of his own heart, from the imagination of his own heart, from the uncreated substance, the spirit of God within Adam, he weaves and pulls and shapes Eve out of his own being and then brings this beautiful woman to his side. And Adam wakes up. <laughs> and when he sees her, the first poetry in the Bible comes forth. If you look at the scriptures, when it gets to Adam's first words when he sees Eve, it's written in poetic stanzas. The first poetry of the Bible came when Adam beheld the woman, beheld Eve. And so this place of his imagination and his words naming things then took on a whole new level and became poetry. One of the beautiful things that I love, one of my favorite scriptures, write it down, it's Ephesians 2.10. And in that scripture, it's badly translated as um, we are, how does it say? A lot of it says we are God's masterpiece. That's okay. We are God's workmanship. That's completely irrelevant. We don't even know what that means. But the word in the Greek 
is poema. What that's saying is that we are God's poetry. You are God's poema created for good works which were, which were preordained for you to walk in, right? What that says in the Stephen Roach translation is we are God's poetry meant to have an incredible influence on the culture around us because he preordained it to come. So Adam speaks this, this first, these first words of poetry because part of the heart of an artist and part of our heart as, as, as human beings is there's a social, relational aspect of it. All art is communicative. All art is unto. It, it, you know, it's uh, no experience of wonder is complete until you share it with somebody else. I remember when I traveled to the Grand Canyon, I saw the most beautiful thing that I had ever beheld in my life. But the first thing I did, because this was pre-cell phone, is I went to a payphone and I called somebody back home and said, you won't believe this place. In Jesus' parable, when the lady lost her coin, what did she do when she got it? She found it. <gasps> ah! And she called her friends and had a party. Every experience of wonder is meant to be shared. So where am I going with all this? You and I, as artists and creatives, have been invited to bear the image of God inside of us. We have been filled with the breath and the inspiration of God. We have been set in a heavenly environment because Ephesians also says that you and I are seated in heavenly places, right? We're citizens of heaven. That's our first home. As human beings, we're sort of like these gatekeepers between two realms. We're made of the dust of the earth, but then we're filled with the spirit from heaven. And so it's like we sort of walk in two places at once. But then we're given this commission to cultivate the earth to create the environment. And I want to suggest to you guys that the politicians don't create culture. The politicians only regulate the culture that the artists and the poets and the musicians create. I think that's good too. <laughs> the very first person in all of Scripture that it pointedly says was filled with the Spirit of God. It wasn't any of the bigwigs. It wasn't Abraham. It wasn't Moses even. It wasn't David. The first person that Scripture says was filled with the Spirit of God was this unknown person named Bezalel. And he was the artist who had been slathered in oil and commissioned to beautify the temple. He wasn't even called to preach or tell people anything. His job description was to beautify the temple. His job was to bring beauty because God said, oh, that's beautiful. And beauty is really visual truth. Because when we behold beauty, when we behold something beautiful, we see a sum that is not reducible to its parts. We, when we behold something beautiful, we see truth because anything that's deformed or, or malnourished is a distortion of the truth, right? So something beautiful reflects the truth of God's original intent. And so he called Bezalel, he invited Bezalel and gave him everything he needed to beautify the temple. I've been talking a long time. I'm going to wrap this up. But the reason I tell you that is because creativity is not ornamental. It's essential 
to us becoming the fullness of the human beings that God created us to be. And that's why, you know, uh, what, is the, what did Jesus say in John 3? The wind of the Spirit blows where it wishes. You don't know where it comes from, and you don't know where it's going. You know what that says? That, that solidifies it when I think that somebody like Sigaros, who doesn't even acknowledge uh, the Father or the Son or the Holy Spirit, still have some weird anointing that makes me want to worship when I listen to their music. Is, it, is that just me? The Spirit blows where He wants to. <laughs> And if he wants to show up over here, I'm not going to judge it. And if he wants to show up over there, I'm not going to judge it. And if he doesn't anoint my music, I'm not going to be mad for too long. (laughs) But the beauty of it is, is he's invited us from the very beginning. And you go through all the scriptures, and then we know what happened. The tragic fall of man happens, right? They do the silliness, get kicked out of the garden, all that. Here we are. One of the first things that you see God grieving over in Genesis 6, God begins to grieve because the imagination of man is corrupt and all of his thoughts are evil continually. And you see this picture of God grieving because the imagination of man is evil. It's corrupt. It's warped. It's now self-centered. The art that is meant to be communicative is now sucking everything into itself. And God is grieving over it. You know why? Two reasons. One, we're created out of dirt. And what happens when you plant a seed inside of dirt and then you water it and let the sunlight hit it? But something miraculous happens. Something beautiful like a flower grows out of this dirt or something life-giving like a watermelon vine or corn grows out of this dirt. So God knows that us being, whether metaphorically or literally whatever, us being made out of dirt, it means that we are a seedbed for reality to be born out of. Peter, Peter said this. I mean, I can explain it clearer. Peter said Uh, gird up the loins of your mind. And I think that's a very funny scripture that has nothing to do with my my message, but I don't use the word gird or loins. And when I do, it's only in reference to that one scripture because those two words do not belong in the same sentence together. But that's not part of my message. Peter said to gird up the loins of your mind. And, and, okay, let me break this down. The loins, all right, (laughs) just go, I got to do this. Well, there's, it's, it's good, okay? Bear with me. The loins of a human being is where the reproductive organs are seated. And the word mind that he uses there in the Greek is dianoia, which means all, it also includes the imaginative functions of the mind. Gird up the reproductive systems of your mind. Because your imagination is the seedbed of reality. And when Jesus said, when he gave the parable and he said that the kingdom is like this ground. And this was a hard, rocky ground that the seed couldn't be planted in. And then he said, but then here is the good soil. That when the seed is planted in it, it brings forth the kingdom of God. And when he took the brothers aside to the campfire and the crowds were gone and they said, what the heck are you talking about? He said, the seed 
is the word of God. And so you and I, as this animated dirt, when the seed of the word of God is planted into our hearts, heaven is what grows out of it. So when God grieved over the, the, the breakdown of the imagination, it's because he knew that he had put the, 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 the impregnating words of God in us. And that by our words and by our imagination and by our cultivating the culture around us, we would create the environment. We would either create Eden or we would create something else. All right. I'm going to bring this to closing and then we're going to have fun. Because God, I, I love his depictions in Jeremiah. He says, Jeremiah, Jerry, I want to talk to you, but I don't want to do it here. I want you to come with me to the potter's house. I, he's, he's sculpting something. I want you to see it. And so Jeremiah comes down to the potter's house. He's like, all right, what do you want to show me? And he's like, just watch the man create. And as he's watching him spin this thing into being, suddenly it's marred. And what did the guy do? What did the potter do? But he took it and he threw it away and said, you useless creation. I should have never created you in the first place. No, that's not what he did. He took it and he wet it and he reshaped it into a new creation. And he said, Jeremiah, cannot not do with you what this potter has done with his creative work. And so he began to say, just as I created you out of the clay of the earth, the same thing happened. This man created this clay thing, and it was marred, but now he reshaped it. And so when we get to the new covenant, and Jesus comes, and by the way, the, uh, I'll maybe share more about Mary and, and that whole bit, uh, when the Holy Spirit comes upon her and breathes on her, and then she conceives Jesus, and the posture of her heart really is the posture of the creative artist. And then you walk through it, and the very last thing Jesus does which, by the way, I think it's so amazing that the, that the most uh, impacting act in human history, the resurrection, the first thing Jesus does after the resurrection is he goes on the beach and makes breakfast for his friends. Is that awesome or what? God is so not religious. But he, he, <laughs> he gets beaten and killed, dies, and is resurrected, and he walks on the beach and makes breakfast for his friends. That's our God. But before he ascends to the heavenly realm again, he takes his disciples aside and he breathes on them. He filled them again with the breath of God that was filled in the original clay man that was created in Genesis 1. The last thing he did after death had been beaten and he resurrected, he breathed the Holy Spirit on humanity again. And so now you and I as sons and daughters and as those who have come into relationship with this incredible being, he's breathed his spirit on us again. And so what I want to suggest to you guys is that all of creation is groaning for you and I to wake up to the destiny and the reality of who we are. Creativity is not ornamental, but it is essential. It is your birthright. It is the idea of God and the invitation from the Holy Spirit from Genesis 1 to Revelation. All the way through it, his heart has been to be to create a people that will inhabit, uh, that his spirit can inhabit, and that we will create a reflection of heaven on earth through the work of our hands. Mm -hmm.